the Dive In Movie Cast, a film podcast where two unprofessional critics talk about movies. My name is Hayden. And I'm Wesley. And today we have our, uh, our first episode being recorded through Skype, which took a solid hour and a half to set up. It was ridiculous. If you notice anything that's like slightly different or weird, it's because we're not in the same room and we're doing this over Skype. But we're trying our best to adapt to the times and stay in our houses. What you been up to, man? How's your week going? I haven't really been doing much. I've been like sitting at home. We've been playing a lot of video games, watching movies, the the usual. Yeah, I made a a list of all the movies that I've managed to check out in the time that I've been stuck at home, and it's it's forty one now. So I'm I'm getting up there. I uh, I'm definitely not anywhere close to where you are with movies, but I'm slowly working my way there. I actually started rewatching um community oh yeah right on yeah you talked about that in one of our other episodes yeah that that has been fantastic so much fun um but yeah i mean that's about it i just bought a uh i bought a build your own ukulele kit today dude Um, it's what everybody needs on quarantine i've got nothing to do and cash to burn so you know what i'm gonna buy my own ukulele build it and paint it and it's gonna be a good time customized dive-in movie cast ukulele Ooh, i had i was trying to think of a color scheme maybe i'll do a dive-in movie <laughs> cast ukulele dude do it up it'd be amazing so today we're talking about uh the invisible man the 1933 version and then we're also going to be getting into the 2020 version of the invisible man directed by uh, lee winnell yeah i mean you probably have not seen the 1933 version but the more recent 2020 version um is a whole different take on the series. I guess it's a series, but not really. I don't know how to describe it, but it was originally a book uh, that got adapted to a movie. Yeah, from 1897. Which is like, I, I find that very interesting because you have to really adapt. Like mm-hmm. with something that old, um, you can't just like tell the same story because back then they told stories so so differently than they do now. And, uh, and that's one of the things to me that I thought was really interesting about doing this episode is like, how does a story change and how do the times adapt over the course of like 130 years? Like, how does the same characters and the same plot devices shift into a new perspective? Yeah, um, this is your spoiler warning. We will be talking about both these movies. We're going to try our best to uh, stay unspoilery, but we might let a couple things slip here and there. So this is your warning. Um Check out both these movies. They're both good movies, but yes. Yeah, spoilers to follow. So if you don't want to hear a movie that came out less than two months ago get spoiled, then yeah, maybe stay away from this one. Shall we get into the 1933 Invisible Man? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so the 1933 Invisible Man follows the story of a scientist named Griffin who has finally figured out how to make himself invisible. Um, but what he doesn't realize is this concoction potion thing he made is actually turning him crazy. Um, and it's it's a very cool, very cool movie for the time because it's 1933 and they make a man invisible. Yeah, like with a lot of the other uh, Universal monsters at the time, like Frankenstein and Dracula, you have a it's it's hard. You're making a monster movie in the 1930s, but you dress a dude up and then he does his thing, and it's it's a little bit easier. But whereas the Invisible Man at the time, they needed to, like, make a dude invisible. Yeah, it's. I was looking up how it's actually done, and 
it's not like they had green screens or anything. So what they did was any scene where he's invisible and it's just clothes, he was in a black velvet um, bodysuit in, in front of like a black velvet backdrop. And so they could just essentially put the two... Um, They'd film it. They'd film the scene. So, for example, if he's like, let's say he's sitting in a chair and is invisible, but in pajamas, they'd film the scene with him there, um, with the black uh, velvet suit on and the pajamas on, and he'd be sitting in the shot. And then they would get another shot of the same room, but just like a still image, essentially. And so they would overlap the film so that he could be seen there in the shot, which is very cool. Yeah, it's um, like, it's such a such a simple technique, but something that at the time was a major advancement. And like you look at where we're at now, and it's like, oh, that's easy. People can do that on their YouTube channel when they're like twelve years old. But at the time, not so much. Like that's like a totally different ball game. Yeah, way different. And it take it would probably take them so much more time as well. Like, it'd be it'd be nuts. Um, but another thing that they did really well too is. To make a lot of the things float, they had to use practical effects. I I personally like it when movies go for a practical effect when they could have gone for CGI, but they Me could too. also do practical. Like, yeah. There's a difference between that, and for this movie, they do a really good job with wires and things and making stuff move through the air and making it feel like someone's actually picking it up. Yeah, there were moments where I'm watching that, and like I'm well aware that it's a string, but looking at a movie that's from 1930s, in uh, in black and white, and seeing how like ac- actually accurate it looks, like it's moving, it's it's impressive. Still, it's still impressive. Yeah, no, definitely, and um, just like the fact that they had so little technology to actually work with was amazing. Like it's so impressive to see the stuff that they come up with. Yeah, and these two Invisible Mans, they're like very very different. But one thing about the original that's like really cool is the way that it just sort of launches you straight into Griffin's story. Like he, he walks into a cabin and instantly he's, he's already invisible and it's just started. Like you don't see this dude turn himself invisible. You just, you just get straight started into he's already invisible. Yeah, exactly. Which is super interesting because you don't know he's invisible until he takes off all of his bandages and stuff. Which in my opinion is actually like the best scene in the movie, despite the fact that it's like 10 minutes in. Yeah, it it is an amazing scene in the movie, and it's so weird, too. Like, just the fact that he's unwrapping it, but you can clearly see that it's just uh, some, like, mannequin on top of that person's head who's at, he's actually doing it. I don't know. It just looks very weird because the head's not moving at all, but the arms are, but it's great. I love it. And it, it looks sort of weird and silly to us now, but at the time they're watching that, and they're like, oh, my God, this is the most groundbreaking thing I've ever seen. Yeah, because it was 1930 and, well, 1933, and that they didn't have that kind of, like, stuff that would normally happen in movies. It, it makes you wonder where we're going to be at, movie-wise, 100 years from now. Yeah, exactly. Like, how are we going to get, what, once we hit 100 years, what are people going to look back at movies that we've made and be like, whoa, I can't believe they did that. Like, they could have done this nowadays, like, you know. Are we going to look back at Avengers Endgame and think it's like the greatest CGI spectacle of all time or give it 100 years from now? Is that movie going to look terrible? Who knows, man? Who knows? I don't know how much. I mean, I guess you could just get more realistic as time goes on, but that was pretty realistic looking. Like, Yeah, it's it's good CGI. Even like, I mean, obviously to us right now, it's good CGI, but I think it's good and it'll it'll maintain. Mm-hmm. 
Um, one thing that, in my opinion, did not maintain is the acting in this movie. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I, it's not bad, but there's just some characters who are oh, they're a it's, little over the top. It's very over the top, and that's actually what I wrote down in my notes is the over the top acting style of the 1930s. Because mm-hmm. at the time, prior to movies being the big boom, it was all theater, and with theater, especially during that time frame, it was very over the top. Yeah. And that was and, sort of the whole purpose of it. Well, yeah, and, like, um, I found that uh, for, like, even the laughs or the reactions, like, there's a lot of shots in there where um, there's just reaction shots where the camera just turns to react at them, but it's only for, like, a split second, and it's just them going from plain face, like, <gasps> and that's it. Yeah. I know and, one thing me and you were both wanted to bring up was the – innkeeper old lady at the very beginning of the movie yeah whose scream just pierces the the speakers that you're listening to it on oh yeah she's got the like weirdest witch cackle i've ever heard and she's like crying for her husband and it's like like it's a weird scream whine kind of thing but she's like belting i like temporarily turned my tv down and then that ended and i'm like okay now we can go back up yeah it's just it was a different time it's definitely a different time. And when you uh, mentioned, we just said like that play style of acting. Another interesting thing I wanted to bring up about this movie was um, the fact that a lot of the sets are actually like full sets. Like there's a scene where, uh, and this is in like the professor's office, he or like their house. They go from one room to another, and there's a wall there with a door that one character exits out through, but the camera just like it's almost as if it's on like a dolly and it's just moving and or like tracks and you see the fact that that like wall isn't a wall like there's actually space in front of it and it's yeah. an actual set which is i mean obviously they couldn't do it like they can now but it it just like kind of plays onto that style of like it just being a recorded play mm-hmm. you know yeah which a lot of movies back then do feel like they just feel like long plays that are just like you're watching like an actual video version of it yeah exactly but it's still interesting and cool and i liked it a lot and there are a lot of things about it that are still deserving of praise even now like the writing is it's very straight to the point but it's not bad writing you know what i mean no yeah it's not bad writing at all like i never once thought like oh that line sucked like even though i'm watching like an old ass movie not saying like old movies are are poorly written or anything it's not what i'm saying at all but i'm just saying while i was watching it there weren't a lot of things about it that i thought were bad other than like you know some things that they can't help because it's a hundred years old but i overall i still really enjoyed it yeah no i still thought it was a good movie too um obviously it hasn't really aged as well as it could have but um i just accredit that to them not having the type of technology we have now and that's not their fault uh a good i don't have a lot to say about the 1933 version just because if you've seen it you've seen it and if you haven't you're probably not going to, but you should still check it out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But a, a good segue into what's going to take up a lot of time in this episode, the 2020 version, is the difference in Griffin as a character in the 1930s and compared to how they re-envisioned him in today's uh, climate. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely a lot of... he He's not the same character. I mean, maybe a little bit, but it's, he's very much of a different character in this with and- the... There's traits that are the same, and I'm not. I'm, I'm about to dive directly into a scene from the middle of the new Invisible Man, but it's just a good way of pointing out the traits. 
uh, when he has the gun pointed at the dude's head in the newest one. And he just Mm -hmm. goes like, bang, you know, like it's like little things like that that are like paying homage to the to the original in the style of the original. But yeah, overall, Griffin is a, a far different character in this new one here. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, uh, before we really get into like the specifics of this movie, uh, we always have to point out the fact that I didn't like this movie. Yeah, yeah, you're not a fan of this of this new one. I'm not a fan. I uh, I watched it. I actually I had been bashing it for like months because I saw the trailer and I was like. Yikes! Which I, I I'm a huge fan of that of the new Invisible Man, and I stand by the fact that that's not a good trailer. No, it's definitely not a good trailer after watching the movie. Um, but I just didn't like it from the beginning, and so I finally watched it the other day, and I still didn't like it as much as Hayden did. Um, for me, it's a solid four out of five. Usually, we do this at the ending, but I just want to make it clear: I enjoyed it. I think Wesley gave it a 2.5 out of 5. I did give it a 2.5, and I stand by that 2.5. Yeah, it's fair. That hurts me, but it's fair. I stand by that 2.5 because we actually discussed this the other night. Um, the way I have a ranking system, I include 0 as a number. So 2.5 is like right in the middle, mm-hmm. um, for me at least. Uh, for other people, you might have not include 0 and have 1 as the lowest ranking, but for me, I include 0. 2.5 is right dead center in the middle. I would I put it there because it's not that I like hated it. Yeah, I was just about to say like you don't think it's a bad movie. It just didn't work for you. No, yeah. I it just I the tones that I feel like it was trying to hit didn't it just didn't hit for me. And that's why I gave it that rating cuz I wouldn't actively go watch it again. It's not that it's a bad movie. Um but it just didn't work for me. When I first came out of the theater, I gave it a four and a half out of five, and I sit with that, and I think that was too too good, so I dropped it down to a four out of five. Mm-hmm. I think that's a more accurate rating to how I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I'm and I'm not gonna like bash this movie the entire way through. We'll talk about like what's good and what's bad. Um, but let's start with talking about what's good about this movie. Um, yeah, good good place to start. Uh, what I one of the things that I will say is the fantastic visual effects like so good so fantastic um there's a lot of cool scenes that use i mean they obviously don't have to use like the wires like they had to in the old uh, 1933 invisible man but there's a lot of scenes that use the invisibility very well um not only physically but also just like the feeling of he could be there you know Mm -hmm. a lot of uh POV shots that make you feel like you're watching Adrian's point of view when in reality it's just it's just another shot in the movie. Yeah, th- those are I find those are the coolest. Like there's a scene in the movie where uh, we are just looking in an empty hallway and then we kind of hear footsteps and the camera turns to like look into a room through a doorway, and so that can almost be imagined as the Invisible Man walking down that hallway and then we enter the point of view of our Invisible Man. And we are looking as if we are him into this room, but no one sees us looking into this room. Yeah, and for me, some of the moments in that movie that work the mo that work the best are moments like that, where where you're questioning and you have no clue where he is, or even if he's really there before the movie fully kicks it into full gears and you know he's there. But the parts that work the best for me are when you're sitting with the thought of where is he, because you know he's there, but you just don't know where or when. 
Yeah, exactly. Like there's there are a lot of scenes where you can kind of like tell he's in the room, but you don't know for sure that he's there. Like you can only assume that he is. And there's scenes where you think that he's uh, there and he's not like nothing happens. Like it's just yeah. you start feeling like you're about to get some big payoff of him being there and it, there's nothing happens. Next scene starts, which is cool. And it makes you paranoid. Yeah, I I like I like that because um, in the if you watch the nineteen thirty three Invisible Man, they do a very good job at making sure you know where Griffin is almost all the time. Um, like he'll talk a lot and he'll just either be like wearing clothes or not. But in this one, it, it has a very more vibe of they don't want you to know where he is; they just want you to know he could be there. Right. Um, and I think that's what makes it like scarier. Um, is the fact that you don't really know for sure if you're right or not. Yeah, and uh, I, I have a lot of things. I do have some things wrong with this movie, which we'll get into, but I have a lot of things I loved about the movie. And in specific, I wanted to point out that Lee Winnell directed this movie on a budget of $7 million, which when you consider the very impressive CGI, in my opinion, for that budget, and a lot of the other stuff behind that movie, that's just like crazy that he made that movie off of $7 million. Yeah, it's it's really impressive, and it's it's a great way to show that you don't need a like a crap ton of money uh, to make a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like Blumhouse, the studio that that uh, he worked with on it, they often do small budgets. Like I think the highest they go for their budget, like ever, is like twenty million. So they do smaller budget movies, and they've done some really bad movies with small budget, like Truth or Dare, which had like a five million dollar budget. But the fact that Truth or Dare, in my opinion, is such a poorly done movie and regardless of you know how you feel about invisible man it's impressive that they managed to make it work the way they did with uh such little money yeah um another thing i as just as a pro of this movie uh are the footsteps i really liked when i was watching this movie i watched it with headphones on and i could distinctively hear like uh our invisible character adrian's footsteps um, which I thought was a very nice touch. Probably in a movie theater, you'd only be able to faintly hear it, but with headphones on, I really heard them. And it was just super cool because it's it's not something that you expect, but when you hear the footsteps and you don't see the person, it makes it just like a little bit scarier. It just adds that little bit of like, oh, he's here. Where is he though? Yeah. And yeah, that's one of the strongest aspects of the movie for me is just the paranoia the way it the way it builds y- your own thoughts more than it builds anything that you're actually seeing like mm-hmm. like the idea that what you can think of is scarier than what the movie can show you and often the movie doesn't show you a lot for that reason yeah no exactly um and i think it's i think just like the use of sound as well in this movie as well um because there's a lot of moments where sound is key like there's a moment where uh cecilia steps out into uh like the front yard of the house she's staying in and oh, yeah, all yeah. sound cuts out uh it's very interesting because this is uh like a moment for cecilia where she's leaving the house for the first time but she's like still scared um and so all the sound cuts out and it's very much of a just focus on her like every all focuses on her we are not distracted by the outside world i think it's a very cool way of just like having that making us feel that emotion of 
being scared and like being nervous of everything around you, but you're so inwardly focused that er- all like noise cancels out, you know? Yeah. And it, it does a good job in scenes like that of putting you in Cecilia's point of view where like you don't even necessarily know what you're scared of, but you just feel weird. Yeah. And, and even at that point, like Cecilia thinks that Adrian's gone. She thinks she's escaped him and she goes to get the mail and she's just like freaked out. Like it's just like little things like that where she just like doesn't know why she's still scared, but she is. And the audience feels the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and another cool thing that I liked about this movie was the use of security cameras. Um, they use security cameras in a weird way in this movie. I feel like they could have used it more. I maybe. agree. I do agree. Because um, it's definitely a cool mechanic that they refer to a lot. Because, uh, like, the whole point of it is pretty much being watched. Like, he that he is watching her all the time. Um, it's not the whole point, but it's one of the bigger themes. And so they use security cameras as a way of, like, always being watched. And I think that's very that's a very smart use of it. Because a lot of this movie is also about seeing is believing. Mm-hmm. And with using security cameras, you have that proof, that evidence. Like, it's watching, it's recording everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And I I think that the way that they use it is good. Don't get me wrong, it's not bad. But I think they could have used it more. Yeah, I definitely agree with the fact that it's it's a really cool mechanic that they, they go to in the movie, but it, it does feel underutilized to a certain extent. Yeah, as... as as big as it is in the movie to the plot at the end, which I don't want to spoil, um, I feel like they could have used it more. But it was still used well. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, one point that I wanted to touch on about this movie is I think one of its more successful aspects, in my opinion, is the way that it blends the sci-fi, horror, and then genre, uh, drama genres all as one. So, like, and it never even felt weird to me while I was watching it. Like, I never was like, this is a sci-fi horror drama. When I sat with it after, I realized how well it touches on the paranoia of being in an abusive relationship yeah. and how, how trapped Cecilia feels and this the sense of, like, she doesn't even know herself and we as an audience can't get to know Cecilia because even Cecilia doesn't really know who she is anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very uh, – rel- in today's day and age, just with, you know, Me Too and everything, it, it's a relevant character study – at the same time as being a really good horror movie. Yeah, I have some different opinions on that. I know you do. But I do I do agree with the uh fact that it is a way of showing how like oppressed she's been. Um and how controlling Adrian is to the point where she doesn't know who she is because he's controlled every little thing she does. Yeah, and she's she's finally gotten rid of him, but barely because now she has no pieces left of who she was and she's totally haunted by everything that happened between them. Yeah. I think I, I would agree that it definitely is a great way of showing that. Um, you have anything else, any other pros you want to talk about before we kind of get into these cons? I have a pro that I need to stand up for because I know it's a big con for you. And I just want to point out why I, uh, I like it so much. Okay. I think that the action sequences are very well done and I think they're very stylish and uh, Lee Winnell has a way of recording action in a sense where the camera sort of moves and turns and flips with each movement of the character. And I know it doesn't work so well with you, but it's also an expansion on what he did in uh, Upgrade, which was his previous movie from 2018. Uh, A lot of the mechanics here 
and Upgrade and Invisible Man are really similar in regards to how characters move in like fight sequences and just the way things are shot. And it, it's very similar. And I, I think it seems to be what is becoming Lee Winnell's trademark. Like his, his style of action is very like fast paced and all over the place, but it works for me in a sense where a lot of Hollywood action movies don't hit that spot. Yeah. Um, for me, the reason, I mean, it's not like I like the camera movement. The camera movement is interesting. It's dynamic. Um, it's just the action to me. And this is, this is where I start getting into like the cons a little bit. The action for me doesn't feel satisfying. Um, and I think it's because one of my biggest reasons why um, I didn't think this movie was going to be good is the fact that our main character, well, not our main character, but our main villain is invisible. Um, and obviously you're like, Wesley, it's called Invisible Man. Of course he's invisible. I'm like, I know. Um, but the fact is, like, when you watch, let's say you're watching a Jackie Chan stunt movie. The reason why the fighting in those movies or the fighting in any movie feels good is because you see the buildup of a punch coming to someone's face and then the payoff of it hitting their face. In this movie, we don't get any buildup because all of the action happens with an invisible man. We don't see that buildup. And so, like, the punches, it's not that they seem forced, but I just don't get any buildup. I only get a payoff. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just I don't get invested into the fight scenes because I obviously know that the Invisible Man's going to win because nobody can read a punch that they can't see. Right. You know? And um, especially with, like, the fight scenes that he has where they're, like, grappling on the ground with Adrian. And it's just, like, it doesn't look good because it just looks like one person's rolling around on the ground, you know? Obviously, I know they're fighting with the Invisible Man and we can't see it. But it just doesn't feel as like I'm not rooting for anyone because right. I know that the Invisible Man's gonna win because you can't beat a dude who's invisible. Right. Um, yeah, I do get that, uh, especially when it comes down to the fact that like a pun- a fight scene typically when you're watching it, like you said, with the payoff, you get one punch and that's like 50% of the fight. Then the other person punches and then that's like the satisfaction of of it coming together. But with the Invisible Man, you are only getting you're getting a, an action you can't see, a reaction to that action, and then a, a response. And I can understand how that wouldn't work for someone. Yeah, and like, there's one scene in particular that I want to talk about. It's there's a there's at one point uh, Cecilia's fighting with Adrian, and um, she's on the ground being pinned down in the kitchen, and she takes plates and bashes them against his face. I think she breaks, like, three plates against his face or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it didn't... I knew those plates were fake, and obviously they're gonna break like that, but it literally felt like those plates weren't real. And the reason is, is because I can't see how Adrian's face is gonna react from a plate hitting him. Like, it would probably flinch. He probably, like, flinched out of the way and then came back. But to me, it almost felt like he didn't move at all, and they just broke against him, you know? Yeah, almost like this dude who we've been established as a human character is just taking fucking plates to the head and shards of glass and shit to him, and it's like, you can't see him responding in pain, so you feel like he's just taking it invincible. Yeah, and so it just, it takes away the risk of it all. There's no risk because I can't see how much our character is damaging the villain. I don't get to see that. Mm-hmm. I just know that 
she is hitting him, and I just don't get to see what level of intensity those hits are affecting him. And so it right. just kind of takes all the risk out of the fight scenes and makes them very one-sided, in my opinion. Yeah, I, uh, I, I get that. Before we dive more into the negative things, there's something I realized we didn't touch on, and that is Elizabeth Moss and her fucking knockout performance as Cecilia. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, regardless of the movie, she is definitely, like, the one holding it down. And her, yeah, she's amazing in that movie, man. Like, uh, not Cecilia, Elizabeth Moth, or Moss, she's amazing. And she deserves a lot more credit and hopefully more big roles because this seems like her, her big debut. She was in Us, but briefly. This feels like a big one for her. Yeah, no, she she definitely um does a really good job at um playing the character she's given. Like this scared, terrified, oppressed woman who is in an abusive relationship and it's like seriously affected her. Um, and she does a really good job at playing that. And I think one really cool character trait that she does well is her relentlessness. Like she is so relentless to um, everyone else who's like, you're crazy, he's dead. Like don't don't freak out, he's dead, you have nothing to worry about. She just never stops thinking that maybe he isn't. Yeah. And no one ever sways her from thinking that he isn't. Like, she always thinks that. And so I think she does a really good job at showing that in her actions and also through her dialogue. And especially her facial movements. There's a lot of parts where I'm watching it and everybody else thinks she's crazy. And Elizabeth Moss is playing this character like she's crazy. And I'm like, okay, obviously I know Cecilia is right because that's where this movie's going to go. But, like, she's actually looking sort of psychotic in some scenes there. And it makes you feel like it's understandable how she's been put in this situation because she's so desperate to stop Adrian that she sort of has come across as crazy, even though she's right. Yeah, like um, uh, one scene specifically that I can think of is um, when uh, they're in the insane asylum place and the lawyer's talking to her um, without giving anything super spoilery away. It is, if you watch her face in that scene, oh, it is so good because she looks nuts. Like, yeah. she looks like she belongs there. Yeah, I know exactly which scene you're talking about. That was the one I was referring to as well. It's it's really well done. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she does a really good job. I think she's the best actress in that movie. Or she, just like, she, I don't think anyone else could have done a better job, in my opinion. Yeah, because as much as uh, you feel Cecilia is an underdeveloped character, which, despite my stance on that, I can sort of agree. My my stance on it is I, I think that that's intentional, but I do agree. But I think that she does a good job making you feel like you know this character, despite the fact that you don't really get to know any r- significant things about who she is. Yeah. Um. Yeah, to get in the, into the fact that I don't think she's a fleshed-out character, one of my other problems with this movie was I want more out of the characters. Like, I watch this movie... And by the end of it, I could care less about every single character in that movie. I'm not going to lie to you. Just because I didn't get enough, I guess, backstory or maybe just character development between the characters to care enough about them. Mm-hmm. Like, in a movie, I when you get... If you have watched the MCU since, like, the first Iron Man movie and then you watch Endgame and you see Tony Stark die, it breaks your heart. It crushes you as a person because you know this character. And for a movie 
such as Invisible Man, that is so focused around characters and how they uh, react with each other and how one character is getting into everyone else's head, I wanted more out of the character's backstory. Like, we don't hear... We only hear about uh, Cecilia and Adrian's, um, like, bad relationship. There's one scene where they're sitting at a, a dinner table and Celia... She mentions that Adrian has hit her amongst other things. That is all we get for any information about what kind of abusive relationship she was in. We understand that it's also, it's more than just physical, it's also mental, because Adrian's very controlling. But that's kind of all we get for any kind of backstory. Mm-hmm. Which is understandable if you're thinking about it in the sense that you are saying where. Um, Adrian's been so controlling that we don't know. She doesn't know who she is, so we don't know who she is. But right. in a whole, in like a story whole, um, it kind of messes with the ending of the movie for me. Because when we get to the ending of the movie, which I won't spoil, um, Celia has this huge character change. Um, but my problem with that is we never really like get to know her as a person before she gets to the point where she is in the movie, where she's so broken and so oppressed. We never get to know the side of her that is, like, the normal her before all this stuff happened. And I think my problem with that is the fact that since we don't get to know that, seeing her go from this crushed character to the awesome ending that it is, we don't uh, get to see her, like, rising it's just her from her lowest point to her highest point. We don't see her go from normal to low to high. Um, and the reason why I don't like that is because there's no inclination that she could get to the highest point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do get that. That makes sense. Um, for me, it sort of goes back to what you were saying with the whole seeing is believing thing. Where, yes, a lot of what Adrian does to her is uh, off screen through dialogue. But what you do manage to pick up throughout the entire movie is that Adrian raped her. Adrian beat her. And Adrian spent years gaslighting her mentally to make her think that everything she thought was crazy. And to me, I don't know if we need much more development for Adrian because that that's it. Like instantly you're like, this dude's fucking terrifying. Cecilia has every right to be scared of him. You know what I mean? And so yeah. it sort of it goes back to that whole seeing is believing thing where you sort of see Adrian as a person without needing them to show you. Well, that's that's kind of one of we well, we don't it's not like we see it, we hear it. We're told it. Um that's like the difference between yeah, seeing a dead body and being told there's a dead body in the next room, you know? Yeah. Um which as a story, like as a as a story use item, it works. But for me, in this, it just didn't. Because not only can we not see our aggressive abuser, um, we also only hear about what he's done. So A, not being able to see the like him actually punch someone and see how strong he is. Instead, we just get a reaction from somebody else. And only being told that he was or has been abusive, except for the one scene where he punches through a car window. I was about to point that out. It's going to be like, well, we do see him break a car window with his fist. That's the only time we get to see 
like physically see like what he's capable of. And I feel like if I had known how much of a dirtbag and how intense he was before any of this stuff happened, I would have hated him more and felt more for uh, Cecilia. I do agree with that. Um, I feel like showing too much more of Adrian could take away the mystery because when you have a character who's invisible for a good portion of the movie, you do want that sense of mystery, the sense of like, what is he capable of? What can he do? Because if you already know, then I don't feel like the impact would hit as hard. But you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I I could agree with that. Um, I could also rebuttal with the fact that we get no, um, like the only bar that's set is when he punches through the window. Like maybe if there was a really high bar set, yeah, um, like that we see him throw Cecilia across the room, like in as he like visibly as like a flashback or something. I feel like that would have made me been like, oh man, now he's invisible. He could do that whenever. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but I also, I totally agree with you with the fact that maybe if we saw too much of it, it might take away the fact of we don't know what he's capable of. Yeah, like Lee Winnell, he said in an interview that the studio executives, I, I've mentioned this to you, he re- they really wanted him to flesh out Adrian and what he was capable of doing to Cecilia. And he said... I think his response was, I don't want to be another guy who directs a scene of some guy smacking his wife and telling her to go make him a sandwich. You know, he he said he didn't mm-hmm. want it to be like this cliche, like abusive husband who has just done everything to make like Cecilia scared of him. He said he feels it works better when you don't quite know what exactly happened to Cecilia, but you know it's bad. And he said if he had explained it too in detail, it could have taken away from the fear of Adrian being able to scare us as an audience. Yeah, true. I I could I could see that as well, um, but for me it just personally didn't scare me. It yeah, m- made yeah. me like less scared of his character, if anything. Um, yeah, I can see that. Moving pat, moving on from that, uh, and still talking about uh, having more backstory for characters. Though another problem I had was James and his daughter were should have been more like I don't know fleshed out characters. I guess. Okay, now here's where I fully agree with you. Like, there's not a part of me that is about to rebuttal this, like, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. They both feel like characters that I like. Like, I'm, I'm, I like James he's, as a character. He's an awesome character. His daughter seems really cool as well. But you don't get to really know them aside from the fact that they're there for Cecilia. They understand what she's been through. They care about her. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, like... I remember after watching the movie, I was like, wait, how is James related to and Cecilia? What is that connection? Like, I it, thought the exact same, too, and they're just friends. Yeah, exactly, and it's so... you. There could have been, like, so much more, I think, with those characters um, and Cecilia and all that stuff, and I also think that could have come from backstory. I think one big thing that this movie is missing is backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time... As we just discussed, I understand. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I kind of wanted more fleshed out characters, you know? I wanted to know who they were so I could care a little more about them. Yeah, because at the end of the day, the only characters you really, I know you didn't too much, but that I really invest in fully is Cecilia and Adrian. And if, you know, like even in the first scene where she gets her sister to pick her up from Adrian's outside of Adrian's house and then he breaks the window, like we were just talking about, that should have been James. Yeah, that definitely should have been James. I, I don't know if there's a reason in the script why it wasn't James, but, like, 
you know, if to me, if I'm stuck in an abusive relationship and I have between my sister and my cop friend, I'm going to go to my cop friend, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but yeah, continuing on with the things that I didn't like, the long list. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that long. Yeah, um, let's. Uh, are you going to point out some of the minor issues now? Yeah, just a couple of minor issues that I have with the movie. Um, one of them being the security cameras, which I I know I recently pr- uh, praised in this uh, podcast as being something I liked, and I it's did. like it's like a double edged sword though. Um, but there's one scene in particular in this movie that I'm not going to spoil that could easily easily be debunked by a security camera like Mm -hmm. it's without going into too much detail it's a scene where the invisible man does something and then frames it on cecilia and if there was a single security camera anywhere around that room they could have seen what had happened and known for a fact that it couldn't have been her yeah um and for a movie that uses security cameras in the way that it does i think it's just upsetting that that is there. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's something that is so enjoyable as a uh, part of the movie until you think about it. Like, it's like, oh, the way that it uses security cameras is really cool until you think about the fact that Adrian's doing a lot of this shit in front of security cameras where it would be easily debunked that something's going on and Cecilia's not crazy. Yeah, it's it's a minor thing that I understand is not like, it's one of those movie things, you know, where it's just like, oh, forget about it. Before um, we get to the uh, glorious little problem that you have with the I have the same problem mm-hmm. but I want to talk about the fact that Griffin's dog is still in his house after Griffin mm-hmm. is dead quote unquote not actually dead but you know you mean uh, Adrian's dog Adrian yeah well Adrian Griffin but yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah no so his dog Zeus is there's a scene where Cecilia goes back to the house after Adrian's supposedly dead um and the dog comes running out of like a hallway and I'm like this house is abandoned and no one lives here anymore why is the dog still home like all, all the furniture is gone and like everything too like the house is like stripped Cecilia's long gone she's moved out Adrian is quote unquote dead yet the dog is just running around the house still and Cecilia doesn't even like ask about it like even one line of dialogue where she's just like how are you still here would make me more okay with it than Cecilia walk into an abandoned house and be like, oh, hey, dog. Yeah, she just doesn't even bat an eye either. And I get it because it's used later in that scene. Um, Zeus is used later in that scene in a good way, in my opinion. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things, it's another one of those movie things where they're like, don't worry about it. Yeah, um, just don't think about it. It's it's just happening. But it just, it, it, it bugs me a little. Um, but the biggest thing that, the biggest issue that we both have with this movie, this was what I was talking about when I said the glorious flaw Mm -hmm. is there's, so there's a scene in this movie where Cecilia is running away from Adrian. Um, and she just runs down a street and an Uber driver is just there to pick her up. And nowhere before in the scene has she called an Uber driver. Has she called anyone at all? He's just there ready to pick her up. And then he like drives her for hours. Yeah, and, like, she's acting weird. Like, she's like, I have to go into this house. And she, like, hop- doesn't she hop the fence or some crazy shit? No, he, uh, she, she knows the code, so she just Okay, yeah. It. I just, I remember her acting really weird in front of the Uber driver, and she's like, I'll be back. Just don't leave me. And I'm like, as an Uber driver, I'd probably be calling my boss and being like, hey, should I should I stick around? Because Ooh. this is freaking me out. 
Yeah, or like, would you not be calling the cops because, uh, like, she seems like she's in a horrible situation? Like, she doesn't look good either. She looks awful. Yeah. Um, and it's because she hasn't been able to sleep, and like, it's the middle of the night. Um, but like, even if even if we had just like seen the phone screen texting said Uber driver, or just like a quick call of just like, hey, pick me up here. That would have solved all of my problems, but he just appears out of nowhere. He's just there. And it's it, it's like Uber drivers are around. They do drive around. They do just wait and pick people up. Taxi drivers, same thing. But the thing about this scene is it's nighttime. Yeah, it's the middle of the night. And she's like alone on this fucking road. So like where does he come from? Yeah, and she he shows up at the perfect time. Like literally n- there could not be more perfect timing. And it's like a divine intervention that he's there, which it just it just it bugged me so much. I remember when I saw it, uh, that specific scene, I wrote down in my notes on my phone in all caps, where did that Uber driver come from? Because <laughs> like he's just appears out of thin air. I wish my Uber drivers were that fast. I could just call a taxi and it'd just be there. Yeah, man. He's like the magic school bus equivalent of an Uber driver. Like he's just he's there, man. And he's driving a minivan too, so you know he's like ready. He's to go. prepared. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's about to go downtown after that and pick up like seven drunk people. Literally, um, but yeah, those are my like little things that aren't that big of a deal, but still like L- little things can amount to big things though. If you have enough little issues with a movie, it can be a big issue. So I get it. Yeah, it's it's just when movies do those things, when they do too many of like forget about it movie moments, mm-hmm. um, it starts to make me care less because I feel like they cared less, you know? Yeah, it makes a movie feel less genuine, and then you like obviously it's pointed out that oh, this is a movie, you know? For for all its flaws though, which I I'd be lying if I said they weren't there. Uh, I do think it's one of the more I mean, I know you don't feel this way, but I do think it's one of the more original, big-budget Hollywood horror movies in a while. Because a lot of the time, especially with the Conjuring universe in full fucking force right now, it's just, like, garbage getting pumped out. And I, I like the Conjuring movies, but I hate all the spinoffs. So, like, it's just it's garbage being pumped out by Hollywood over and over, and it's just, like, jump scare after jump scare after jump scare. And I like this movie for doing something different. And yeah. for all the things that don't work about it, the fa- and I, I know it's funny to say doing something different for a story that was written 130 years ago, <laughs> but for all the things that don't work about it, I feel like it does so many cool little things just as much as it does wrong that for me, it just it, it, over- it outweighs the negativity. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think um, for a movie that I really don't like that much, um, it still does a good job at being an independent story. And um a similarity that it has with the old Invisible Man that I'm glad they kept is this idea of control because in the old Invisible Man, um, all Griffin wants is for everyone to do as he says so he can turn uh, visible again and then finally sell his serum and whatever. Um, But in this one, it's this abusive relationship where all this guy wants is control. So we still get those ideas of control and... um, in both the movies, uh, but in just very different ways that I think now fit for the modern time. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I do think that's cool how in the original, it's it's sort of like a polar opposite situation where he's got this girlfriend character and she's like the only thing sort of holding him down from like going totally fucking insane. 
And uh, on top of that, yeah, all he wants is to be human again so he can continue being with this love that he has and so he can sell the serum and they can be rich and they can be happy. And it's a total flip with the new version of, of the character where he doesn't want to be visible again. He wants to stay invisible so he can continue to manipulate his girlfriend. So it's totally like flipped where he's no longer this dude with the best intentions for his relationship. He's the exact opposite. I... Well, one interesting thing I just thought of as you were talking about this is I would almost argue that they both want the same thing in different capacities. Like Griffin wants to be with um, whatever her name is and have they have money and they live a, a normal, happy life. Um, and Adrian wants kind of the same thing. He wants to be with Cecilia again and he wants to live a normal life. But normal to him is controlling her completely and it's awful. It's horrible. Yeah, it's um, like this weird sense of normalcy that's instilled in only a fucking sociopath. Exactly, and so it's almost like it's almost as if it's the same thing, but from a different perspective. Where um, Adrian like doesn't want to change anything; he wants to stay controlling. He wants this power still, whereas Griffin cares less about the control over everything and more just wants everyone to listen to him so he can become visible again. Right. Um, but it's, it's still a very cool parallel that I found between the movies. And also another cool thing is in watching the 2020 version, I noticed there's like a couple nods to the old Invisible Man. Yeah. And they're all really well done. They're really fun. Yeah. Like the first time that, um, Cecilia freaks out and thinks there's someone in the room, she sees this mannequin with a coat and a fedora on. And in the old Invisible Man, um, the... Well, Griffin wears this fedora, and his face is wrapped up in bandages, and he's got glasses and a fake nose. And so I think I thought that was a really cool nod um, to it. Also, the scene where Cecilia looks at the chair, and there's like a, an imprint on it, is sort of like the uh, the conversation that Griffin has in the original, where he's sitting there, and you can see the imprint in the chair while he's talking to that guy. Yeah, exactly. It's it, it and that is very cool. Because it's subtle and it's not used in the same way it was in the last one. Because in well, in the old one, because in the old one, he sits down and we see the seat cushion be pushed down. And he's like, "Oh, let me go put on some clothes, so it's not as weird." Yeah. Um. But in this one, it's just like he's there. Um. And another cool thing, another nod that I saw was in one scene where Cecilia goes to the hospital, she locks eyes with this guy covered in bandages from head to toe. Like completely wrapped in bandages from head to toe, and that's very. I think that's just a subtle nod at the fact that that's how Griffin presented himself in the first one, which was wrapped in bandages around his head. Yeah, and it's it's the little clever things like that that show like Lee Winnell. He said it was never like a dream of his to make Invisible Man, or never like a passion project, but it shows that he understands that character and what made the original so enjoyable. Yeah, which, definitely. Which is cool. Uh, it's just crazy to to see how much a story changes over the course of, of a hundred years or almost a hundred years where you have this first one from so long ago and you can see the themes that are like from that time frame, and you can understand everything about it. But now it's the same story, but very little about it's the same because the time frame we live in is so drastically different that they needed to tell a different story. Yeah. It's, it's the, I think it's the um, changing of the times that makes the story so much different now um, if you had tried to tell that story the same way it is in 1933, no one would care. Yeah. <laughs> like, no and one would like that movie because it's not anything new. It's the classic genre of 
ooh, crazy scientist and all this stuff. But in 1933, that was all the rage. And that's funny that you bring that up, too, is because after Tom Cruise, The Mummy, do you remember that movie? <laughs> Sadly, yes. Yeah. Uh, they start, Universal started this big plan called the Dark Universe, where they were going to do essentially like an MCU-style superhero universe with all these different fucking monsters, which is just a horrible idea when you say it out loud. Um, and the next character after The Mummy, before the series totally crashed and fell apart, was supposed to be the Invisible Man, and originally attached to play him was going to be Johnny Depp. Uh, you know what? I think Johnny Depp could have pulled it off because Johnny Depp's amazing. Johnny Depp proceeded to have a whole bunch of legal shit come up between him and his uh, his wife, though. So that was probably why he backed away. Yikes. But I think that's funny because you say if you had tried to tell the same story that they told in 1933 with a new actors and new, you know, it, it wouldn't have worked. And it didn't. That literally happened like a year and a half ago. It fell apart. And that's why this one got made is because Universal realized that people don't want their Universal monsters as superheroes. They want them as horror movies. Yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, obvious. But I'm glad we got this, like, instead of what we would have gotten. Because what we would have gotten was essentially Griffin as our main character again, just like in 1933 with Johnny Depp playing him and now a big budget so that they can make it better. But it was going to be the same movie. They were going to remake the original, like, pretty pretty the exact same with the whole evil scientist thing i think there is a way you could do that and make it good i think you might have to focus on like the psyche of griffin more um but i think you could maybe pull that off but it's still very hard to do if you don't add that horror aspect because back then that movie probably was technically horror like, that uh, would have been scary. Yeah, I could imagine that movie was probably pretty terrifying at the time. And so when you take it and try to remake it as an action movie, it loses something about it because it's not. that's not how it was originally made. And it's not how anybody's ever enjoyed it. Nobody's thought, hey, I want to go see The Invisible Man, but as an action movie. Like, that's not... That's the yeah. last thing I'd think about as an action movie. That, that character in that, that world works so much better as any other genre than action. Yeah, and I like how is how could that even be an action movie? He's just a dude who's invisible. He's got no powers. He's just invisible. That's I, it. I'm assuming they were probably gonna keep the outfit, man, like the the nose and the glasses and the bandages oh, yeah. and the no, hat. Definitely. So I'm assuming that's how like they were planning on doing it. But I'm just I'm I know you're not a big fan of this movie, but I think it's safe to say that we can all agree that it's better we got this version than the version we would have gotten. Yes, I would agree. Uh, like it's cooler to shift into the lens of somebody affected by the invisible man than rather just repeat the same story with the invisible man. I like him being our antagonist instead of our misguided protagonist. It works a lot better for the character. Yeah, definitely. Um, as just some final thoughts on the movie, I don't hate this movie. I'm going to say that right now. I don't hate it. I just, it just did not resonate with me as much as I think they wanted it to. Yeah, and I've had a lot of movies like that where, like, I don't hate it. I don't even dislike it. It just didn't do it for me. I, I slightly, I have a slight dislike for this movie just because of the little mistakes that aren't even big mistakes, but they're just little things that could have easily been fixed that no one, they just, like, don't care about. Mm -hmm. Um, That gives me a slight little distaste of it, but at the same time, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I just didn't like it. Yeah, I do get that. Um, it's also crazy, though, because Lee Winnell is so early in his career. So I think you should check out Upgrade. 
because there are similarities but very, very key differences between the vibes and tones of this movie. But I think it's cool to see where he's going to take his career next. I know you're not a huge fan of this movie, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where he where he goes from here. Here's hope he makes some better movies. Oh. Well, oh. He, he made Saw, so. Okay, I'm, d- I'm just kidding. He's got you there. No, I'm joking. I'm playing. But uh, yeah, uh, Upgrade is really good as well. You should definitely check it out. But closing, thought, closing thoughts for me is uh, this movie's a four, and a, or a four out of five, not four and a half. That was, that's too, too nice, too generous. It's a four out of five. I, I really like some of the things it goes for. I think the action's all well done. The acting is great. And for me, uh, so many movies right now don't work for me as horror movies because I've been a horror movie fan for so long that I'm just sort of desensitized to the genre. I really liked this movie as a horror movie. A lot of the things that they went for in the paranoia style, dread-based thing, it worked for me a lot. So, yeah, um, four, four out of five for me. Yeah, and I think the reason why I gave it a 2.5 2. out of five is because, unlike wh- what you just said, it doesn't, it doesn't um, work as a horror movie for me because I'm not scared, and I don't feel the risk, and... I just, I personally didn't like the action because I don't get any lead up. I only get a payoff. Mm-hmm. But the acting is good in this movie. Um, they have some very cool POV shots. Uh, very awesome CGI. I'm glad and you pointed that out. It's worth at least watching once. And you never know. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you'll dislike it more than Wesley, in which case, please do talk to us. We'd love to hear your opinions. Yes, if you dislike him more than me, please let me know because I want to share stories with you and hear why you really don't like it. it. Wesley's pretty much in the minority right now on this movie because I've seen a lot of good, good, uh, a lot of people liked it, even critics and a lot of horror fans. That being said, there is obviously a demographic who doesn't like it. So if you're in that demographic, give Wesley someone to talk to. You're on my side. Yay. Come Be on his it. side. Be on his side. He, he's, standing no on the, he, he's standing on this hill alone right now. <laughs> Yeah, I, get, I think that's I think that's about it for this episode. Yeah, man, this, um, that was a that was a good one. We've talked for fifty eight minutes, so yeah. Yeah, I think that was probably the first episode that we actually disagreed about the movie on, which is interesting. <laughs> and we'll see if it happens again because so far we've just been being like, yeah, we like this, and here's why you should watch it because it's awesome. And this one's not so much like that. Yeah, um, but yeah, thanks for thanks for listening. Um, this is a totally new setup for us. Uh, we're going to work through some of the kinks, if there are any. And, yeah, hopefully everyone's staying safe these days and uh, living their life. Um, check out next week's episode. Who knows what it'll be. But check us out on Instagram as well, at the Dive In Movie Podcast. And we also have our own individual Instagrams. I'm Wesley Giffen. And I am Hayden Kutras on Letterboxd and Instagram. Yeah, and you can find me on Letterboxd as well, at Wesley Giffen. Yeah, thank you for listening to this episode of the Dive In Movie Cast. Hope everyone's staying safe. We'll see you next week. Bye.